Hello everyone and welcome. This is Marcus from Gen Con TV and we are excited to bring you a classic episode of Fireside with Peter Adkisson, where the founder of Wizards of the Coast himself takes us on a trip through the untold history of Magic the Gathering with special guests from the game's illustrious past. In today's episode, Peter and co-host Emma Larkins are joined by none other than the creator of Magic the Gathering himself, Richard Garfield. So without further ado, we'll drop you right into the conversation. Richard, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. Now, what's your first untold story? No, I'm just <laughs> Just dive right into it. <laughs> You're going to have to work to pull them out of me. Mm. I'm going to have to work. Uh, yeah, so we've definitely set the bar really high today because Richard has been interviewed probably more, certainly more than me, and I've been interviewed a lot, but probably mm. 10 times as much as I have. Uh, relating to Magic the Gathering, Wizards of the Coast. But let's start with some basics. Like, we're before we try to get to the nuances and untold bits, um, uh, I want to start before Magic, before Wizards of the Coast, who was Richard Garfield? Well, I was a graduate student at the University of Pennsylvania in mathematics, and uh, I had already decided that my future lay in... Uh, in academics, as mm. opposed to game design, uh, because game design, games in general, seemed like a really poor place to stake your future. <laughs> and, uh, um, and yeah, I turned out to be uh, very wrong in that, or at least uh, I got very lucky. It probably mm. was pr probabilistically the right play. And in fact, uh, probably uh, the my attention to uh, games based on love of games and interest in games as opposed to trying to make a living probably probably helped me in some ways. I really uh, took took game playing seriously and took the research seriously. And mm. It was, it was uh, more than uh, just whatever games were out there. I loved like reading old you know, card books about old games and uh, and figuring out what made them fun, what made them tick. Mm. And, uh, uh, and, and uh, I, I had a friend, a uh, good friend, Mike Davis, yep. who fell in love with one of my designs, uh, Robo Rally, and he took it upon himself to get it published. And I seem to recall, like I've heard this story, of course. Uh, I remember talking to Mike, um, which we, we all miss him dearly. Um, Mike uh, told me that he had a deal with you that if he could get, you know, that he had tried to urge you into getting your games published, that you didn't want to be bothered with that nonsense. And mm. he said, well, he, he, and you said, well, you can own half of Robo Rally if you go out and find a publisher. Is that, is that a fair summary of that? That's exactly story? correct. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, nice. And, and, and he, he, he got half of Robo Rally, and uh, he thought that was a very generous offer. Um, and then seven years later, after dealing with uh, over seven different publishers, he thought it was probably a fair offer. <laughs> and, uh, mm. But, but I think we 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 might have uh, paid you in stock for Robo Rally, in which case it might have been an amazing offer. Mm. Yeah, no, no, certainly. Uh, 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 in the end, it probably worked. It worked out fine. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that that journey to find a publisher for Robo Rally put him in contact in with, with Peter, and mm. 
therefore, me in contact with Peter. Right. So that gets us to the origin story. And, and uh, we talked uh, the other day about uh, about this interview, getting ready for this interview. And we both commented that, you know, the origin story of Magic the Gathering is like a creation myth. We need like a burning bush. Yeah. We, so we can embellish the creation yeah, story, yeah. by the way. We could, we could take this into full-blown mythology if we like. And on the third uh, day. You know, on the third day, yes. You're allowed uh, to do that? Yes, we can. Because somebody, you know, a historian will come back later and set all the records straight. Mm. So we might as well give them something. To, de- to work with, right? Mm. To debug. Yeah, to debug. <laughs> yeah, give, them, give them something to debug. Mm. Okay, a debug. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's. What I'm thinking is that let's talk because the origin story. We're very. We both are actors in this story, uh, and uh, so I think we just kind of alternate kind of our our bits of the moving trains as they head towards collision, right? Mm. So in this, um, so uh, Mike's been off trying to. Uh, find a publisher for Robo Rally. I start this little RPG company in Seattle, Wizards of the Coast. I get on a Usenet back before when the internet and before uh, Facebook and all this stuff. <laughs> we, we hung out on Usenet and had conversations on the internet back mm. in the early nineties. So, so 1991, I'm on a, uh, on a on a Usenet forum about game design, and I ended up talking about Wizards of the Coast and what we were doing. And Mike Davis reaches out to me and says, "Hey." I'm trying, I'm pitching this game called Robo Rally that my friend Richard Garfield designed. And, and I almost like, well, we, we have no interest in board games. I had no interest in doing board games at the time because mm. I was completely intimidated by the work of doing an RPG. So the idea of doing a board game just kind of messed with my head. Mm. So, um, but he said that we're both grad students in mathematics. And that was the key. Like, I, oh, I like really smart people. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so what did Richard what did Mike tell you before we met about like what we were going to meet? Like, we, we were going to meet in Portland. We set up a meeting in Portland. What did he, t- did he tell you going into that? Um, well, uh, uh, to clarify, Mike was not a grad student. Uh, um, that's right. He was working at, he was working at Bell, Bell Labs. Bell Labs. Yeah, mm. that's right. And, and that's where I met him. I worked for two years after, uh, after my undergraduate years at Bell Labs. And right. uh, he, he was a... Uh, um, but he had a master's, right? He 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 had. Uh, I, I believe he had three masters. He's he's right. a very yeah. smart guy. So mm. you, 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 the, yeah. the essence of what you're saying is true mm. uh, yes. that okay. uh, that you were, you might have been drawn to him because uh, because yeah. he seemed to be pretty smart. He, he was very smart. Yeah. Um, and uh, he uh, he told me that one of the reasons he was interested in meeting with you is because uh, our most recent failure to get it published uh, was with FASA. And uh, and FASA had bought the game. They'd actually paid us some money. Hmm. Um, and uh, and then uh, eventually, when they got around to it, they returned it to us. And part of the sticking point was that they wanted to make it. They wanted to put Robo Rally on a hex board, and they wanted to make it a cyberpunk themed game. And uh, um, they had a lot of. And they were trying to tie it into their other right. game lines. Mm. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, and and so he he wanted to go to you because he said I want somebody who doesn't have any pre-existing lines to work with, uh, and so they won't have mm. any preconceptions about how 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 we should play this. Right. And uh, and so that's mm. basically what he told me about you. Already an untold for me. I, yeah. I had not heard that story. So hey, we're doing good. Yeah. <laughs> we're only eight minutes in. <laughs> I've always heard. <laughs> okay. So. So we end up meeting in Portland. Um, I was living in Seattle. Your parents lived in Portland, and uh, your father still lives in Portland. The That's same right. house, right? Yes, yes. And this is the house you grew up in. Yes. So even though you were going to school at University of Pennsylvania, you guys, you you were coming home to see your to visit, family, visit folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike 
tagged along. Yeah. Um, and I drove down to Portland, and and I remember the house. I remember, first of all, it's a beautiful house. Oh, was a beautiful house. I was raised, I, I think, fondly of where I was raised, my grandparents' house in mm. Idaho. Um, and I remember... I was just there yesterday. I remember you, you and Mike coming off the... I have this image of you and Mike coming down the stairs of this house. Huh. and uh, Because we left right away. We went to a park or something, if I remember right. Yeah, you don't I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> I, remember, I, remember I remember... It was a park. Yeah. Yep, mm. yep, it was a park. <laughs> yes, anyway. I, I remember meeting you twice in short... Uh, with a short interval in between. Mm. And I didn't even remember that one of them was in uh, uh, Portland. Uh, I, I, For some reason, I uh, have it as I went to Seattle, and yeah. then a couple weeks later, for some reason, I was in Seattle again, which doesn't make any sense because I had no reason to be in Seattle other than to... So that's an alternate mm. theory of events, an al- yeah. <laughs> alternate history, right. Yeah, so I came down to Portland, and um, uh, we, we went to a park and we talked about um, games. And... Um, uh, the and I remember I knew I was gonna reject Robo Rally mm. to say it in the harshest terms, <laughs> right? Sorry, uh, but for reasons of being intimidated by the thought of making a, a board game, and also being uh, and at the same time I was going to ask you for money. that's the life of an entrepreneur by the way i'm raising money i'm not going to publish your games how would you like to invest wow you got a nice house you got there richard i don't know i'd say that's 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 a a, a probably high character uh of you though you seek out intelligent people to get investments Mm -hmm. that's what drew you to us rather than uh, (laughs) they sound really dumb (laughs) yeah that's a good character reference. Um, so in the course of that conversation, um, and I think it was mainly a conversation between Mike and I, and you were uh, a bit quiet, like uh, is often the case when, when I'm ta- I was talking to Mike. Um, I remember at one point you said, well, Pete, I like, Peter, I, I like all games. What type of game would you like? You said something. I don't remember the exact wording, but you said something to the effect of like, um, okay, if you don't like this game, give me a challenge. I'll design anything you want to. And I remember you telling me, I remember asking you in kind of a gamer sort of elitist sort of a way, you know, like you judge people based on what type of games they play. So mm. I remember asking you saying, well, what, what do you like to play? <clears throat> and your response was that you liked all games mm. and anything from Dungeons and Dragons to poker to uh, board games. And I, to me, that was like, oh, wow, that's like. Yes, now I love all games. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember that? Uh, That sounds, I do not remember it in particular, but it it is something I I, I identified with myself at that time. I I, uh, very early on um, uh, took it upon myself to not only to uh, learn all the games that were out there, but learn what made them fun. Mm. And so, and so, uh, when I came across a new game that I didn't enjoy, I would play it again and again until I learned what what made it, uh, you know, what made people who liked it like right. it, mm. because uh, they're not wrong, right? right. So yeah, they must yeah. understand something about it that I didn't. And and part of that, I think, originally was driven by uh, by um, the how few games there were and my limited resources. Like if I spent twenty dollars. Uh, on on a on a game when I was wor- earning a, a dollar a day delivering newspapers, um, and I didn't like it. Well, I'm going to play it again and again. And again. <laughs> I'm going to learn what makes it fun. Mm. Uh, but that carried me, you know, uh, uh, through to today. Right. Mm. 
So, um, so we part ways at that point, not probably not sure we'd ever see each other again. And then my memory of what happens next, but interrupt me any time you think of something in the middle of this about three days later, you called me on the telephone. We used phones back in those days. Mm, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, and you... I, 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 yeah. I dialed you. Yes. You oh, dialed me. Dial. Yes. Yeah. You dialed me. <laughs> yes. You dialed me. And you said, Peter, I have an idea for... Oh, well, in response to your game, well, we left out the answer to your question. You'd ask me what sort of game yeah. I would like. And I said, well... Uh, um, and here I always put in a caveat. I'm not taking any credit for the invention of Magic the Gathering. But I did say a card game with a science fiction or fantasy film... Uh, um, theme that had only cards something you could play while you're waiting for your dungeon master to show up mm. or play it in lines at conventions and stuff like that so you do you remember you you called me up about three days ago and so think, that's not what i remember oh what do you remember? that's, oh, that's similar similar okay uh, and, great and uh and and you certainly uh uh at the very least, deserve a catalyst award uh, mm. because you, you I'll take were the very, very, I'll take very the important in this. Yeah. Um, my my memory of it uh, is, and and again, I don't, I didn't remember Portland, but Portland makes a lot more sense uh, that we met <laughs> mm. um, uh, because again, I, I I don't know why I would have been in Seattle twice. Uh, even once is kind of a stretch. Um, I'll explain that. I'll explain that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, I remember you saying that you wanted a that that you, you uh, rejected Robo Rally on the basis that it was too expensive to put together. Yes, mm. like uh, a board yeah. game uh, is uh, is is daunting, or, or was certainly daunting in it those days. Very uh, daunting to me. These, yeah. These days, it's uh, a lot easier. Mm. But uh, getting together not only you know the the components of it, but then getting them into the box and getting the art and everything else is just it's 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 a lot more going on in that than you know a book, right? Mm. Yeah, and, and uh, we were struggling to make books. Yeah, mm -hmm. and a, a board game has a book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Plus a whole bunch of other stuff. It's, it's pretty clear that it's it was harder. Uh, yeah. It's going to yeah. be harder. Yeah. Um, and and I. I I respected that, and uh, I took that as uh, I took your interest in the game as uh, uh, genuine. You, you, know, you said you yeah. would publish oh, I love it the game. Uh, later, yeah. mm. uh, but uh, and uh, and and when I remember that you said I want something cheaper to make, right? Because that uh, that was the reason why we weren't going there, and something fast that you could play in line at conventions. Yes. So you saw this opportunity because people at Gen Con and other right. conventions would be waiting for their event and they'd be standing in line and uh, and they might be there for uh, 40 minutes or something like that. Mm -hmm. right. And, right. and so mm -hmm. having a game you could play in line would be great. Uh, it was right. an opportunity you saw. Right. Yeah. And the other thing is I saw um, the... Uh, I was noticing that I was a big fan of Norwest Cotton, which is a local science fiction fantasy convention. I, I would go there and I would see all this art that was not being published. And in the gaming industry at the time, there was very limited vehicles there were very limited vehicles for publishing fantasy color art especially most mm. of it was black and white inside mm. role-playing books the cover would be the art and stuff like that so i thought you know a card game that we could publish a lot of art i think i could get art reasonably cost effectively because there was so much art not getting published right so you call me up about three days later and i mentioned also that the next weekend was dragonflight so that's the seattle connection you called me up oh. about three days later and said hey I have an idea that I think fits the bill, something like that. Mm. And um, how about if I come up to Dragonflight next weekend? We can hang out, play games, and I'll tell you about the idea. And I'm like, okay, that sounds that sounds great. So I remember picking you up at the Amtrak station. You came up by train. I do remember that. Mm. Yep, I, uh, with uh, Kim McLaughlin. 
Yes. Uh, and we picked you up. And um, was we, Mike there? Uh, no, you came up alone. Okay. You did not come up with Mike. I don't know if he'd gone back home or what. I think he had. Yeah. So you came up, and I picked you up in my old pickup, an old Dodge Fifty Seven pickup that I inherited from my grandfather. <laughs> the, thing, the thing had such loose steering that you mm. could go like this, and the truck would just keep going straight. You had to, <laughs> you had to go like this, that it would start to turn. Mm. Uh, anyway, um, I, think, I think that's the only car I ever ran out of gas on. Uh, I, I forget why I was driving it, but it, it ran out. And the, uh, the You were uh, driving my, my Dodge pickup? I was driving a truck of yours, uh, I see, and it was back back in the day. I don't know whether it was that truck. In yeah, I only had one, so it had to have been like Dodge. I don't remember yeah. you driving you'll, my Dodge. You'll, you'll be able to verify this or not, but I remember that that, that uh, it ran out of gas, even though there was gas in the tank. It looked like yes, and, the gas gauge didn't work. That's yeah. true. And, and and it turned out later that that it had like a second tank, and I had to switch a switch something. Is that true? Yes. Okay, yeah. so this yeah. was your trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, once once I flipped that switch, I was mm-hmm. good to go. Yeah. <laughs> Might need you just call me on your cell phone. <laughs> okay, so we gotta get, okay. Yeah. okay, so we go. Um, so you come up and you tell me this. We, I, I pick you up with Kim McLaughlin. We went to, we were in a parking garage and went there because Ken had to go pick up a check. It was right by Seattle Center. Ken went, goes in, pick up a check. And while we're waiting for him in this parking garage, we get out of the pickup and we're kind of, kind of just standing there waiting for Ken and you go uh, well you want to hear my idea uh-huh. <laughs> oh jeez mm. and so you explained the core concept mm. of magic the gathering you know it's 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 a trading card you know the, the idea of a trading card game it's this game with lots of cards and you build decks everybody has their own cards and you play your deck against somebody else but you know way you know this huge idea and we started hooping and hollering, and I remember us hooping and hollering in this parking garage because out of excitement, and it's echoing through the parking garage, and poor Ken's running back thinking that I ran over you in the pickup or something <laughs> like that. Mm. <laughs> and so then we tell mm. Ken the idea, and, and then all three of us are hooping and hollering, and we're like, wow, that's... Do you remember that? I do remember that. Mm. Ah, good. Yes. And uh, um, I should say that the, uh, the, the point when I uh, came up with this concept was at Multnomah Falls in Portland. I remember I was there with uh, my mother and and Mike Davis, and it's one of the few ideas, maybe certainly the only major idea that's ever come to me in a eureka moment. Mm. Like uh, most of the time, most of my most of my game design is uh, evolutionary, not revolutionary. Mm. I, uh, um, I I work and slowly improve things and tweak rules and do iterative iterative design. Um, and I can usually trace the origin of my ideas a lot. This one seemed to come out of nowhere, uh, was that uh, the, uh, the the idea which just swept me away, which was that not all players had to have the same equipment. My. Mm. Wow. And yeah. and a really uh, something that, that, that always uh, wakes me up when I think about that time is I, when I told you about that idea there, it wasn't attached to magic. Mm-hmm. It wasn't attached to any particular game, right. Right. Mm. and and I remember saying that we shouldn't get too excited because it may not even be possible to design such a game, right. which is always sort of uh, uh, amazes me because it's so ubiquitous now, and so you know, there's like there's so many examples of uh, trading card games and mm. also uh, 
the second order effects of trading card games like deck building games and whatever mm-hmm. digital trading card games and things like that that the idea that you might not be able to do it is it seems like it it it, it seems crazy like yeah. uh, especially for somebody who specializes in uh, in learning all games right mm. right and but uh but uh, you know i said you know look when when if you were playing chess and you were allowed to choose your own pieces that wouldn't be necessarily as fun as chess if you were <laughs> playing poker and you were allowed to choose your cards it wouldn't necessarily be as fun as poker and sort of i was going through all these these right. these things and the only thing i could think of was uh with miniatures games you could choose your mm. Army based on right. a price cost, but mm. I didn't really want people adding up prices on a game and 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 so right. forth and 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 so that seemed that seemed different than what I wanted, which was something where you just have a deck and you play. Right, right. So you were at Multnomah Falls. I was. Were you like up on that that little bridge? It's about a fourth of the way up, staring down into the water. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think I was walking up towards that area. Walk, mm. Walking yeah. up towards it with yeah. uh, with Mike and and uh, you said and yeah. your mother. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Maybe my sister. Mm. Yeah. Well, I was gonna. Yeah. I mean, it was funny. It was one of the questions. Is like, when was was it a eureka moment? It happened so fast. I figured it kind of had to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have this thing where uh, frequently at about three o'clock in the morning, I wake up with this fantastic idea. Um, Turns out it's not. Yeah, right, right. But at, at 3 a.m., I think, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. I get up and I have to go type it type it down. I, I'll get up. I, like, if I if I just lay there, I can't get back to sleep. But if I go type it, mm. then go back to bed, I can go to sleep. And then the next, then when I wake up later in the morning, I'm like, what is this rubbish? <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason, this idea, which sounds like a very big idea, didn't intimidate you as much as making Robo Rally because it was cards and it was something you felt which, like you could move forward with. Which actually, I mean, which actually this this turned out and was probably on the surface of it, obviously harder than Robo Rally. Yeah, <laughs> I think that you know, uh, it, it, but it was the 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 opportunity mm. too. I mean, Robo Rally, we loved Robo Rally, but it's a board game. It's another yeah. board game, yeah. right? I mean, it is a good board game. We love board, you know, but it, it wasn't going to set the world on fire mm. like Magic did, right? And so I think it was this, um, well, for me personally, I always remember back to uh, 1978 and the first time that I realized what a role-playing game was. First time I played Dungeons and & Dragons and, and had this eureka moment of, oh my God. Everything I knew about what games were just got turned upside down mm. on its head. And it was that moment again. Well, I had exactly that moment with Dungeons & Dragons. That's what made me a board gamer, or a, 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 a gamer, a game player. Right. And it was almost exactly in 78 as well. Oh. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. Uh, so, um, so did you... How long did it take you to... So so did you spend a... Because when you came to me, now it's going to be three or four days later, because it was in the middle of the week, then you came up to Seattle and we got together and we um, we talked about this and got all crazy and hooping and hollering and stuff like that. Um, but like you said, at that point in time, you didn't know if it was a fantasy theme or anything. You didn't know what had anything to do with magic. I, right, I didn't. And I didn't even, as, as I said, know if it was possible to make such a game. Mm. Right. right. So uh, I, I, think, I think I was thinking about it as, as cards, because of our conversation, I wanted to make something cheap, uh, right. and, and cards seemed to be uh, as lightweight as you could get. Um, and uh, but uh, and I know that between that meeting and the first prototype of Magic, which my memory was, 
you know, less than two months, maybe close than a month. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, and uh, but between then, I had did several prototypes which involved other themes, you know, oh, yeah. lock picking, for example, right. or something mm. like that. And um, and it, that that uh, that that it, once I came up with a magic theme, it was perfect, uh, and and it was also well fleshed out as far as flavor goes because I'd been working on uh, magic themed card games for a long time. It was one right. of the by you know, magics, yeah. Yeah. One mm. of the many uh, sort of games that I had been developing off and on, and so uh, there were, there are maybe you know twenty different versions of Vibe Madrix, um, and uh, and none of them had been worth playing you know more than twice. Uh, they were uh, that's the one of the ways I like to design games as we play the game. It's fun. It's not worth playing a second time that way. But I have a lot of fun playing with the first random game and sort of seeing how it works. Right. And so I've done that a lot with Master with uh, with uh, Five Magics. And uh, and uh, and but because of that, I had this sort of fleshed out world, this mm. relationship between uh, lands and creatures and spells, and and the relationship between the different colors of uh, of, of magic, the red, the blue, right? right? That mm. had this sort of a dynamic, which was already fleshed out in a lot of ways. And so there's a lot of stuff which came for free once I attached it to that chassis. Right, mm. right. right. So um, so when you you hit upon after after experimenting with several themes and you hit upon magic as the theme um and it you were able to tap into what you've done with five magic in terms of the style and the theme everything like that did it come pretty quickly this idea of of well you, you already knew you wanted to have a deck of cards a player has a deck um the the idea of lands like sources of magic and spells of magic like sort the the was that something that came from five magics or yes. is that that, that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, i mean in in a variety of different ways i don't think in any of the versions of five magic there were lands in your deck i think they were always things that were out like on a board and you were competing over mm-hmm. Right. So, like, you'd move your creature over here, and now you've got the swamp, and right. you sort of invest energy in the swamp, and now you get black energy back to do mm. something else. And, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but uh, uh, but there, there may have been versions with, with the lands built in as well, uh, but I don't remember. Um, I know that one of the reasons that it was uh, called magic to begin with was uh, because uh, I... I, I uh, adored the, adored this game uh, Cosmic Encounter still adore right. yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, um, Cosmic Encounter uh, uh, the first time I played it I was not particularly impressed uh, but then <laughs> the second time I played it it was completely different mm. right. and uh, third time I played it was completely different again mm. and I just was swept up with it I just loved it because after that is like wow who knows what's possible with this game so I had right. sort of a, a one of the things I love best in in games is where you just don't know where things are going to go, mm. and and I thought, wouldn't it be terrific if uh, you had a uh, a game where um, every card broke the rules rather than just each person having one or two ways to break the rules? Mm-hmm. Right. And then and then I thought that sounded to me like my model for what magic is like uh, because I, I'd done a lot of uh, role playing and uh, and role playing design too. I never did it seriously with the idea of being published but uh, i worked a lot of magic systems and things like that Mm. and one of the things i really liked about a good magic system was that it uh it was um uh really that that everything logically followed 
from basic premises, but it was filled with the unexpected at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that felt to me what like what was going on with these sort of games right. with that are massively modular, where you can figure everything out, but you can't really anticipate anything unless you really are a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well. <clears throat> And <laughs> Richard, not supposed to reveal that. <laughs> yes, part of the creation myth continues. Wizard of the Coast started by real wizards. Um, okay, so we 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 got to move forward into uh, in our topic. So I, I want to oh, 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 yeah, please. just take a yeah. a, a little. Uh, uh, thing about a moment to say something which is important to me about today's games hmm. is actually there's so many games out there this I keep on coming back to this idea that uh, that uh, we don't play a particular game enough I mean I I'm certainly yeah. guilty of this like mm. I have to know all the games that are out there I always have uh, but but because of that um, I find myself playing games I know uh, less and less and playing a particular game less and less. Mm-hmm. And I think right. that's uh, tragic. I've been trying to sort of correct that behavior in myself and still have time to play a lot of new games. Mm. But but you, you hear my descriptions of things like Cosmic Encounter, right. what made it right. amazing. I played it the first time, not impressed. Second time, totally different. Third time, right. I'm hooked. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Yeah. If you only play a game once, you can't understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally get you. We've got you were over at our house uh, last week, and you know I've got a fine and modest collection compared mm. to you, but I've got, you know it's a nice collection of oh, games. Oh, very nice. Mm. And uh, you know we just look at that. Uh, if we if we played in you know like the, half the games we haven't played in a year, mm. right? And we don't and we only keep the ones we like. I mean, not every game on that shelf is a game that we intend to play again, mm. right? But yeah, that's uh, that's really tough. So um, I want to talk a little bit about. I think that you get. Um, well, anything else you want to say about origin, of the, sort of the origin story before we move on in our topics? Because I'm trying to think of what we can talk about. That's, I I know you get a lot of. I imagine a lot of your interviews are more about the game and about the uh, design of the game and other games that you've done. Like mm. you know, remember working on this particular card. Um, but I think that you know you and I also had a really important business relationship um, as uh, at Wizards, and I think. Uh, I find questions like that that come up that I think that maybe don't get much um, attention. You have a choice, maybe at multiple points, a choice to make about whether or not to take Magic the Gathering, cast your lot in with me, with Wizards of the Coast, or um, take this idea somewhere else, or do it differently, or do it yourself, or something. Did that... Did you have conversations like that with, say, Mike Davis or... No, 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 no. (laughs) Well, I was still in the frame of mind. I wasn't going into game design. And Mike was in charge of this relationship. And uh, I didn't want to deal with big companies. The idea of selling them a a company... I mean, if you would... Obviously, if you decided not to do it, I was excited about it enough. I I would have found alternatives. But there's no way I'm going to do a game myself. Right. Um, Mm. uh, And, uh, I mean, that's... That's almost true today, and it's, I don't know, a million times easier today to do a game than it was back then. Mm-hmm. Right, um, right. But, uh, yeah, I have to get a publisher involved, and and, uh, and, and you were enthusiastic, and, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, and, and really, <laughs> I had such low regard about the possibility, you know, like getting somebody to take the game seriously. Right. Mm. Well, and I suppose that worked to my advantage, that you'd had this 
horrible, this bad ex uh, experience getting Rebel Rally published mm. probably helped my position. In I'm the... sure it did. Yeah. Well, <laughs> although although uh, it should be said that uh, that that I didn't have any bad experience. Mike did. Mm. Mike. I mean, I indirectly yeah. did. Right. Yeah, but yeah. I went into this sort of right. having done a little bit of research and knowing this was like right. this was not a place to stake your future that the mm. game industry and part of my data for that was was I, I know that it's notoriously difficult to be a writer successfully mm. right? any entertainment property is probably true but but uh, but writing was one that interested me mm. and every uh, every week there's a different you know top 20 list of new books out there and and uh, and lists of famous authors and so forth and I tried to figure out what the analog for games was and it's just crap it's like awful right it's like you, you you get the top 20 games of all time and and you start getting to number 12 and 13 and my parents don't even recognize it mm. uh, right mm. and, and that's right. it was like there's no there was not in those days at least uh, uh, uh these are the new york Times best-selling games for the last week mm -hmm. it's like right. so games must have been orders of magnitude more difficult to make a living at than being an author mm. right and right right and so yeah. So yeah. That that, that uh, anyway. I I went into it fully knowing how bad it was. Yeah. Mike yeah. experienced it firsthand, mm. and yeah. uh, and I just sat back saying, "Oh yes, this confirms all my knowledge." <laughs> and, uh, I have to do a quick sidebar here. Yes, I please. love your story, like you and your crew at Boeing, like. Oh, we're gonna go leave Boeing. We're gonna leave our stable jobs and talking to your parents, and they're like, "I don't know about this." And then Richard over here is like, "I'm gonna go in academia. I'm gonna have a uh, a logical choice for right. like the career that's most likely to, to although, support me." I mean, that, that that is true. Although I, I wouldn't necessarily have criticized uh, Peter's approach either, because because his his was to make a business out of this, and mm. there's a lot of business opportunity in games. I believe that. I believe games could be what they've become. Mm. Right. I believe they could be bigger still. Yeah. But uh but I wasn't interested in going into business. Right. right? right I was interested right. in being a game designer. So that's a, right. a bit of a different yeah. thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but it was uh the you know, my dad certainly had words to say <laughs> about me leaving Boeing, big mm. company, retirement plans and all that stuff to be an entrepreneur, you know. Uh that was uh but uh, so yes, yeah, so your relationship that you have with Mike Davis was very important, um, not only in terms of Robo Rally, um, uh, but that that relationship you had with him, of him being essentially the your agent uh, in some sense, um, continued uh, into Magic: The Gathering because um, Mike ended up taking sort of the um, the position of representing your interests in in the various negotiations that yeah. happened. Uh, one thing that Wizards of the Coast, a challenge we were facing with Wizards, which was just role-playing, this we're talking about 19, uh, our first conversation was 1991, but as we're going into 1992, mm. into looking at 1993, when we published through this process, Wizards, um, uh, we were in a lawsuit uh, that um, threatened our existence through some bad decisions of mine. Had, had, had that lawsuit, was that, was that on the radar when we first talked or not? Um, I don't think it was. No, it was not because that didn't happen until 1990. It was a year later because that didn't happen until after we published the Primal Order. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so we, so Mike Davis was very concerned about that, and he, him and I talked about how uh, his concerns about taking a game to Wizards when Wizards was faced with this problem and how the game could be lost in a lawsuit. Mm. Um, as an asset, you know, if, yeah, if we yeah. went out of business, it could end up owned by this by um, another company. 
And so we started Garfield Games. Yes. Yes. And so we created a separate entity hmm. that ended up owning Magic the Gathering uh, with a publishing relationship with Wizards of the Coast. You remember this? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know how much. Did you have interest? You have conversations with Mike. Do you remember conversations with Mike about yes. this topic? Yes. Um, um, well, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just making it up. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, he. He he really. Uh, I, I let him take care of the business, and he right. told me what was going on at all the steps, mm. and uh, and uh, uh, it, it all seemed sensible to me. Yeah, yeah. So that was. Uh, I think some people like know about. Like you'll see some uh, old advertisements. There are um, places where Garfield Games shows up, mm. and that's kind of the history as to why uh, why that was happened. And then eventually, we resolved our problems with Palladium. We came out with uh, Magic the Gathering. It was a big hit, and. Um, we merged the companies and, and, together. Uh, so, so to spell it out for people, uh, what you were, what what Mike was concerned with, and and, and probably you, was that we was that we published this uh, game through Wizards, uh, uh, which we think is is has a lot of potential in Magic: The Gathering, mm. and then Palladium uh, ends up doing really well in their lawsuit, and they end up owning right. Magic. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we tried to separate that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. we did separate. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we did. We did. Right. So we created a. Um, uh, that was uh, the background on that. So you ended up being um, after we merged the companies. You ended up being on the board of directors. Yes. With uh, with me at yeah. uh, at Wizards. Put the, put board back in the board of directors. <laughs> <laughs> I spent yeah. a lot of time board. You don't have any riveting stories <laughs> from I, I the do, board I group. Told. I do, but it's like uh, you know they say war is where where. Uh, where it was uh, lots and lots of boredom with uh, moments of uh, terror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, so the. Um, um, I think it's interesting to go towards the end of our story at Wizards and talk about uh, how we ended things at mm. Wizards. Uh, Selling, we ultimately made the decision to sell the company. Well, there is something uh, that 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 I just I just thought of okay. recently, which we might also want to talk about okay. is, yeah. is the the uh, the patent. Yes, yes. Like the patent is a really like I often think about that and what we were thinking and uh, um, like recently uh, I did uh, this game Keyforge, mm-hmm. right? And uh, it strikes me as being as patentable as Magic was. Uh, and there was no interest in uh, uh, in in uh, fantasy flights and and uh, and uh, whatever reasons I had for it originally had disappeared. Mm. Right. So uh, so you know somebody some people have contacted me and said, can we do a unique deck game? Do they own any patents? And I was like, no, no. Yeah. So what? You, but the patent of wizards did. We did uh, we did a patent on well loosely on trade, the concept of a trading card game. Yeah. Uh, but uh, more specifically, I think on the tapping. Yeah. Uh, mechanics. I... That, that, <laughs> right. There was there was a lot of discussions about what what was patentable here. Mm. Right. Right. Because games are notoriously difficult to protect. Yeah. Right. Uh, a lot of uh, protection in the game industry comes from the fact that, that until now. There, most actors in the game, most actors in the game industry, the people uh, who are designing games, the people who are publishing games, are driven by love of games and wanting to create things, and mm. uh, and so, and so there really wasn't that much uh, theft of ideas. I mean, it did right. happen, but it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Uh, but but at the same time, if you put out a game and somebody just you know changes one rule. It's their game. Well, and you see things like um, going back to you know uh, Monopoly riffoffs and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, so we did patent, um, uh, and it ended up being something that um, uh, was a big source of revenue for for mm. Wizards. We got we got patent income from uh, Konami mm. or Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, we got patent revenue from a couple other trading card game companies, um, and I know that the ownership of the patent was instrumental in Pokemon deciding to work with us. Yes, mm. for distribution of Pokemon outside Japan. So yeah, so so uh, it's it's and one interesting thing I, I do think about that from time to time because I've got mixed feelings on the patents and patents in general. Mm. Right. Uh, my background and and I I do not you know I would I'm not going on record saying I didn't support the patent. I was uh, I was uh, part of that and that was that was fine. But uh, but my general philosophical background on games is that is that it's like mathematics. You work together and like I make something and other people draw on it and they make new things mm -hmm. and and there are techniques I use and it's it's a, a wonderful thing we're all building together and patents kind of uh, work against that right uh, mm -hmm. or or at least on the surface of it they do uh, um, and and then and then there were some things which were sort of uh, hazy about uh, like like to me there was something very uh, original being brought to the table by a game like magic but that wasn't tapping Right. Right. Mm. So mm. yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, um, it it felt dishonest on that level. Mm. The right. the trading guard method of play, that there was some honesty there, but being but 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 uh, uh, but I wasn't sure, and I wasn't sure what was just done legally and what wasn't. But my what I pictured uh, as being the case was that if like I've played many many games, many of them many games I loved, good games that weren't successful. Right, and mm. so there's this uh, uh, fear that you come out with something uh, a, 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 like a magic, and you publish it with a Wizards of the Coast, mm -hmm. and it comes out and it doesn't do well for right. any of a million different reasons. We got right. lucky mm. in so many ways, and we, oh, yeah. we uh, yeah. you know, we, we, you know, our still helped increase those percentages, but, but it was very, very easy to picture it not working. Right. Um, and then TSR, which to my mind was a megalith at that time, you know, could have just said, "Oh, that's a great idea," and then do their own, and suddenly they own trading card games. And that mm -hmm. was right. what drove, for me, right, the trading card game, uh, the, the, patent. the patent, yeah, interesting yeah. patent. Yeah, you know, we did have a lot of. Um, uh, it takes me back to some of the early discussions we had, where um, if we did not assume that magic was going to be the main. <laughs> That's true. Game. Like we, we That's thought... why Deckmaster is on the back of a magic card right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah because... because whatever you put on the back is there forever. Yeah. Right. And we thought that it was going to be the Deckmaster line of trading card games. Mm. Right. Right. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. And and that magic would be like a theme. I remember there's a classic picture of us in the University of Pennsylvania with the chalkboard in the back with the, yeah. the with the Charlie and Scaff and everybody's there. Lisa and Jesper are out there for it. And in the back it says Talislana up there on the chalk. Like like we actually thought about doing a Talislana trading or you know, I mean yeah. it was you know, I mean we did do one for Vampire to Masquerade, we did one for Battletech, we did one for Netrunner. Um uh it's pretty amazing that the first trading card game uh, ended up being so dominant, so pivotal, still so yeah. powerful. Like, mm. what do you think? I mean, what do you think that? Why do you think that is? <laughs> um, I, I I think we got lucky in a lot of different ways, uh, um, uh, and I, I think I think the. Uh, 
well, obviously first mover. Yes, first right. Mover. First mover, like the, the first time you do something like this, if it's successful, it's likely to get entrenched. Mm. And uh, um, and and with magic, with with a trading card game, more than a lot of games, because getting entrenched with a, a game like uh, uh, magic, you get not only an intellectual investment, and in, mm-hmm. I learned all these cards and these rules, but I also have a, 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 a monetary investment. Yeah, I own yeah. this stuff, right? And so, and so you become more and more entrenched. Uh, but but there there is more going on uh, in, in the in the next three trading card games that I worked on. Uh, uh, first, Vampire: The Eternal Struggle, then Netrunner, then uh, BattleTech. Uh, I I realized that a lot of the things that I thought were problems in Magic were actually strengths, mm. and and that uh, either by luck or by intuition um, uh, I had gotten the right answer with you know or, or at least a good enough answer the first time, mm. um, and so so example I mean there's a lot of, there's just there's lots of examples of that but but uh, take Vampire of the Eternal Struggle which is coming out. Uh, I heard they're making a new version this year, and the fans of it love it. And it's a, you know, I'm very happy with the game. Right. But that game was designed to a standard of board games in that uh, the amount of time it took to play was about half an hour, uh, or even more, 40 minutes per person. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and so you get a four-person game, and you're talking, uh, say, say, say three hours. Mm-hmm. Right. And for a board game. Back in those days, these days that's a little long for a four-person board game, but there's still all people who will do that. Uh, um, but back <laughs> some of in those which days, are in was, this very room. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but back in those days, that was uh, uh, you wouldn't blink an eye at that for a hobby board game. Mm-hmm. It was right. you know you wouldn't call it short, but you wouldn't call it long. Yeah. I played you know, lots of longer games, um, but for a trading card game, it was not good at all and it took me a, a bit to realize why and it's because so much of the value in trading card games comes from I play and then I play again and see how it does this time and then I tinker with the deck and I play again right yeah. this, this yeah. iterated play was very important right. and so after that our standards for what uh, uh, what what the length of that game should be you know, like until then we, we thought it was should be just like board games but it wasn't it, it was something different and then in netrunner uh, i took out the mana because right. a lot of people didn't like the mana in mm-hmm. magic and uh, that it made a lot of swinginess and uh, and again there's a lot of people who love netrunner i think it's a, a an excellent game although i don't think it's at its best as a trading card game i think it would be better uh, in a different form uh, but Mana turned out to bring something to the table which I hadn't anticipated. Uh, the fact that that forty uh, percent uh, of your deck you could immediately evaluate in Magic was a strength. In, mm. in, in Netrunner, mm. uh, your your hand was smaller, but every mana card you had to read is like, oh, I do this and then I do this and then, okay, okay, I think I understand how that works. Oh, this one, uh, like there's yeah. just there's like there was nothing easy. There was no easy card. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, right. Uh, the help that you got in designing Magic takes us back to the, the, the development days, the playtest days. Mm. Scaff, Bill Rose, Jim Lynn, these uh, le- legends in gaming history now. Back in the day, uh, it, with the original playtest of Magic, there were many groups that contributed and uh, became very attached to uh, the concept. Mm. Uh, uh, I had, I don't know. 30 or 40 playtesters, and then I know Peter had a bunch, and then there was even a bunch 
in Atlanta. I think some of uh, uh, Mike's friends played in Atlanta, or maybe Lisa mm. had some connection yeah. there. Mm. But uh, but in any case, uh, my my playtesters fell into two large groups. Uh, one was the uh, the people who were around the math department uh, uh, and the physics department, uh, um, which was with Scaff and uh, Jim and uh, Dave Petty and mm-hmm. uh, right fifteen other people. Mm-hmm. And then the other was around the uh, bridge, yes, the Penn Bridge Club. They were all people. Who had some association with Penn? They may have gone to Penn as undergraduate. Mm. Uh, they may work at Penn right. currently, which was the case with Bill Rose, who uh, yeah. um, head of R and D for a long time at uh, uh, at Wizards. Um, and so that was the other big group. Yep. And this this these two groups uh, set a lot of the standards for how the game worked, and they gave a lot of put a lot of heart into uh, and, and 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 thought into how it should develop what made a good set, what made a bad set. And they were often completely, completely the opposite a point of view. They, <laughs> they fought like cats and dogs. And to be sure, uh, uh, Bill was the cat. and Bill represented the cats, and they represented the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Scaff did. Um, yes. But... Uh, um, uh, and and I often found uh, and and I was uh, I, I was the final arbiter on all this stuff uh, on you know for for quite a while mm. and uh, and I, I found myself in the position often of if you do this the game is doomed and yes. somebody else <laughs> saying if you don't oh. do this the game is doomed oh wow yeah and, yes. Yes. Uh, and so to try to figure out which one of those points of view was correct or whether there was some way to satisfy both parties with mm. third solution that we hadn't anticipated but. Uh, uh, yeah, they're, they're, um, I, I, I leaned on my developers quite a lot uh, uh, in, in many different ways, not only up on particular cards, but on the way they all fit together. Mm-hmm. Well, it was clear that they were just um, uh, amazing. I mean, like we were doing playtests, you know, the playtesting we were doing in the office in Seattle, uh, we never caught up. I mean, I felt like we play, yeah, we play te- we played the game, mm. but... Uh, we were never able to provide um, as much substantive input uh, critique that because you, you were with those guys and doing it interactively, you know, working you know, day day to day, right in the thick of it. That's uh. fascinating, showing the combination, like the math, the heavy analytical side, and then the bridge side. Like you were saying, more traditional card games. Like these play- people are used to playing games over and over and over again, and really like getting a rhythm to it. So, yeah, and, and the, the, this these. Those uh, foundations uh, mm. really contributed to the uh, our ability to make this into you know to get the pro tour to work in the first place. Mm. Like uh, uh, it, it's hard to imagine we would have gotten there without uh, without uh, this you know taking just the minutia of the game so seriously and the balance of the game. Right. You know, even if even if we ignored the balance for one reason or another, like uh, a lot of people don't understand that when the game was launched, we knew there were decks that would go infinite and so forth. Mm. We just didn't think that uh, um, we didn't think that they needed to be controlled because uh, people w- a wouldn't get that many cards. Mm. Right, we weren't, weren't right about everything. <laughs> right, um, yeah. right. But but B, uh, you know, it's like I played lots and lots of games where where uh, you know, like uh, like. Uh, um, Cosmic Encounter, where 
there's broken combinations. You sit down, you play, you win, and then you move. You know, you play a different combination. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. there's house rules and so forth. So we didn't feel like uh, this was a problem. Mm. So I was in. A, I, I think I know your answer to this question just based on what you just said. But um, I was uh, asked this question recently by uh, I think it was Brian Weissman uh, who said, you know, the uh, the broken cards of early Magic, the Lotuses, the Moxes, the Time Walks, Ancestral Recalls, and so on. Um, um, those were a good thing for the game. I mean, but I mean that's what I believe. That's what he asked me. Whether I, you know, do you think that those were, were those cards a mistake? Mm. I mean, in some level at the time, maybe we could. I think there might have been a period where we thought it was a mistake to have because we ended up banning these cards. But it added so much to the mystique of the game. And now, even you know, mm. now that we're twenty five, thirty years later, the fact that these cards existed and have such a high economic value it comes I mean, the good, there's a good with the bad there it adds a well, mystique to the game yeah it does and, and well people what people don't understand uh, often when they look back at there is just how rudimentary people's play level was mm. uh, now uh, ours was actually reasonably good it wasn't until the Pro Tour was in progress, I think, that we didn't have the best players in the world at right. Wizards. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. by far, right? right. Like, uh, right. Um, but, uh, but once the Pro Tour was underway, that was no longer the case. Mm. Right. So then, then, uh, then you have to ask yourself, uh, you know, what, what you've got, what you're going to balance the game for. Who are you balancing the game for? And this is an ongoing, uh, of, of, of real interest to me these days how do you know it's like how should I balance my games and uh, um, and the, th the thing is there's a lot of people who think you should balance your game for the top player mm. which I think is uh, misguided and uh, almost uh, has a bunch of hubris in the whole idea mm. because first of all not all your players are top-level players. In fact, a small group will be, and if you balance it for them, there's a good chance none of them are going to convert. Mm. Second of all, uh, you don't even know what the top level is if mm. you're, unless your game is pretty shallow, right? It's like a, 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 it's it's really hard to get, play a game perfectly, and to know that going in, you know what the perfect game is ahead of time means you're dealing with a pretty shallow game, uh, I think, mm. and yeah. and so. And so uh, I, I think these cards were you made the game balanced well for beginners at that time. Not mm -hmm. for beginners, even for intermediate players at that time. Right. Yeah. There was a there was a, a, a tournament I remember uh, Dave Petty telling me about in uh, it was the, the, I think the first place they ran a Rochester draft, so uh, probably Rochester, mm. um, and. And they were being helped by people there, and they were doing this draft where everybody right. was picking picking cards. Right. Rochester draft, all the cards are on the table, and you take turns picking them. And he said it looked like the only person there who knew what was knew knew, knew what was going on at high level play was one of the people who were helping out with this tournament. And and uh, all the players seemed to be playing randomly. And in particular, there was a Black Lotus out there. This will tell you how long ago it was. Oh, it just wasn't picked uh. for a long time. <laughs> and it just sat there. And it's because back in the day, that's just like, you know, it's like it's not as good as a land. A land you can keep using forever. A Black Lotus, one time, gone. Yeah, right. So then after, uh, Dave says he's talking to this guy and he's saying, he's saying, I can't believe they didn't pick that day that Black Lotus. And the other guy goes, yeah, it's crazy they didn't pick it. And he goes, I love Love Black Lotus. First turn, bam! Three walls of wood. Bam, bam, bam. 
take so, that. <laughs> Get across and that. So the thing is, you've got these cards here, and people, you know, like, should they be balanced for the for for the top level player, or should they be balanced for all these people who are playing the game? And, mm. and yeah, yeah, right. Well, I, I feel like we just scratched the surface and we're running <laughs> oh, out of time here. We will not be talking about the business issues. You can, everybody, mm. panic alert is off. Mm. We will not get into that sort of stuff. Um, I got to ask you a, a couple of sort of canned questions that okay. I like to, to end off of. So when you reflect back on, um, reflect back on this magical time that we had together uh not the last hour. I'm talking about the night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to do a montage there of this yeah. last, uh, the last 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so what, um, what, when you think back about it, uh, all these years later, um, what, what are you most proud of? What do you feel like, what did you really take away from that experience that you've taken into your life since then, that you, that you still incorporate into who you are as Richard Garfield and how, how, how magic changed you or the Wizard of the Coast? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I always believed that uh, the games had this incredible untapped potential. Uh, I believed that from the moment I first played Dungeons and Dragons. It was like that was a light switch, which mm-hmm. sounds like it was for you as well. It was, yeah. And... Uh, and it's you know, still the game, I think, is the most innovative game of all time. And uh, I couldn't believe the potential that games had uh, back there that it seemed like hadn't been reached. And, and so I think that uh, that time really cemented this idea that, that, that I was absolutely correct in that, that there was incredible potential there with games uh, and, and that, that, that it was way beyond just entertainment like uh the the educational value of games of course is is very high but but there was also this this you know like throughout the 90s and and through to today uh you know people come up and talk about how important magic was in particular to them but but games in general i hear this said about uh, all the time about how valuable it was for them to learn to socialize to you know their child learned to read that way Mm. they were depressed they didn't have any friends they made these connections and and games have such value to people. Uh, I, I think that really, uh, you know, I believed that before then, but I really knew it after the 90s. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a powerful point to end on. I'm so, I feel like I'm huge. I'm so sorry this was so short. <laughs> yeah. We, How we is it barely dying? scratched the surface. Yeah. Uh, can we go another hour? <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. For yep. coming down. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed today's classic episode of Fireside with Peter Adkison. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to stay up to date on all the Fireside happenings. We'll be back every Monday with a classic episode of Fireside, the history of Magic the Gathering, and every Friday with a new episode of Fireside covering the untold history of Dungeons & Dragons. And if you want to catch the show live, be sure to tune in every Wednesday at 4pm Pacific on twitch.tv backslash GenConTV. That's Twitch. Dot TV backslash GenCon TV. Again, I've been Marcus from GenCon TV, and we will see you soon.